Good morning. We're glad you're here today to start a new week with us, worshiping here at Great Oaks. Those of you that are worshiping or visiting with us in our worship here today, thank you for being here. We always like our visitors to know that we're just trying to be Christians. We put Church of Christ on the sign because we're only trying to follow Jesus Christ. We'd love for you to join us in that and simply being undenominational followers of Jesus. So we're glad you're here. We hope we get to meet you before you go. Thank you for being here with us today. A couple things we're excited about before we jump into our lesson. Greg and Allie Cobb, could y'all stand up just a second and let everybody see you? Where y'all at? There you are. And yeah, kids too, y'all stand up also. Their daughter Everly in second grade, their son Oliver in kindergarten. Uh, Greg and Allie have been visiting with us for a few months and met with our elders a couple weeks ago to let them know they'd like to be part of the Great Oaks Church family. Let me share a few more things about them. Greg and Allie have been married for 12 years. They have the two children, Everly, second grade, Oliver, kindergarten. Greg works for Adobe in data analytics. Allie has worked in the veterinary medicine field and uh, also stays home with the kids. For hobbies, Greg enjoys music, playing drums and baseball. Allie enjoys reading. Uh, I really enjoy getting to know Greg and Allie and their family, and I think you will also. So if you haven't got to meet them, please meet them. We want to continue to stay family. We want to continue to meet the new faces and welcome them to Great Oaks. Glad you guys are here. This is the first Sunday in February, so we're also excited about a lot of things going on this month. Please check the bulletin. Please listen to the announcements. There's some ways we're going to try to bless our community, some ways we're going to try to be together in our different peer groups to try to connect this month. The one I want to highlight this morning, three weeks from today is our annual Friends and Family Day. It's always the last Sunday in February. We hope you can be here for this. We hope you can invite someone to join you. You can see the schedule for the day. Regular Bible classes for all ages. Worship at 10. We'll follow worship by going back to the gym for a fellowship meal together. Potluck, lunch, everyone bring dishes to share. And then right after our meal, we'll come in here for an early afternoon worship service. No 5 p.m. service that night. What we want everybody to do is not just be here, but bring someone with you on that day as you come. Uh, That's the goal of the day, is just to be together, to worship together, to eat together, to encourage faith in each other. And as I said, it's usually usually our biggest Sunday of the year. Uh, let Let me put something in your mind. We averaged 575 souls gathered together in worship the last half of 2023. It would be great we could have 650 souls here on that Friends and Family Day, maybe even 700. The most we've ever had gathered together for worship was our homecoming back in 2022. I think it was 717, something like that. We're going to have an overflow room on the Friends and Family Day, just like we did on that homecoming Sunday. We're going to squeeze in the middle. We'll make room for everybody. Some people may just want to start in the overflow room. That's fine if you want to do that. But we'd love to have as many souls gathered together to encourage each other on that day as possible. Please make plans to be with us. And please bring somebody with you. Let's have a prayer and we'll start our lesson today. God, we're so thankful for you being our God. You've loved us first, you've loved us most, and you've always been there for us. God, I'm so thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for a morning of worship, of being reminded that you are the most important thing in our lives and to give you as best we can the glory and honor you deserve. God, I'm thankful for every soul here. Uh, both members and visitors. God, the fact that we're here shows we're trying to draw close to you. Help us to encourage one another. I'm thankful today for Greg and Allie. Thankful for Everly and Oliver. God, we're thankful you guided them here to us. We pray we can be an encouragement to their faith, and we know they will to ours as well. God, we pray for all the things we have coming up in February. May they 
build connection and friendship and faith. We pray for our friends and family day that it will be a day of building up each other's faith and honoring you. God, as we open your word together this morning, I pray that what is said will be what you want to be said and that we'll grow from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open to Romans chapter 6. If you didn't open there with Clayton just a second ago, we're going to spend our time in Romans 6. If you haven't been with us, we're journeying through the book of Romans, hopping and skipping more than maybe we'd like to. There's so many good things here in Romans. But Paul, whose life has been transformed by the gospel, is writing to these Christians. He's never been to Rome, but he's writing these Christians in Rome because he hopes to visit and then go to Spain. And he's trying to encourage this church, this church that's made up of Jews and Gentiles. He's trying to encourage them to be connected, to remember the gospel that changed their life. And to be, we're going to see that more and more as the book goes on, to be connected in their faith with one another. Um, Jews and Gentiles didn't always get along in the first century. He wants to make sure in the church they show the world what it should be. We've seen that Paul said in those first three chapters, we are all sinners. Jews, Gentiles, every one of us stand before God's throne as sinners. Then last week we looked at... One of the key sections of the book, Romans 3, 21 through 26, where Paul explains what God did through Jesus Christ. That He gave us His righteousness. We weren't righteous ourselves, so He gave us His righteousness, His rightness before God. He paid the price for our sins that needed to be paid. And so in that way, God was able to be the perfect judge. Sin wasn't just ignored. All the evils of sin, God didn't just say, who cares? God said, I'll pay for it. I'll take the pain and the penalty. And that's what the gospel is all about, that God has taken our sins, the penalty for our sins in the cross of Christ, and we receive salvation through Jesus. In chapter 4, we're going to hop and skip over 4 and 5. Chapter 4, he talks about the faith of Abraham and how we all are children of Abraham when we follow in the faith of Abraham. Chapter 5, he says God shows his love for us. It talks about love and grace. God shows his love for us in the cross. Don't miss that. That was an act of love as Jesus goes to the cross. God God cares about us even though we left Him. He cares about us. He talks about how Adam brought sin to everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. Adam brought sin into the world. But Jesus brings salvation potentially to everybody, whoever accepts it, Jews and Gentiles, all of us. And so he ends that section about grace. And as he gets to chapter 6, sorry, this is our our verse uh, for the year, Romans 1.16, not ashamed of the gospel. But as he gets to chapter 6... There's a question that Paul wants us to think about, that God wants us to think about. So what we'll do today, we're going to see what is the question of chapter 6? And what is the answer of chapter 6? And how should it affect our heart in the way we see our lives? That's our goal this morning. What's the question? What's the answer? And how should it affect our heart? So the question flows out of chapter 5. It all runs together. Paul has been emphasizing the reality of grace over our sins. Grace is one of the great words of the Christian faith. It means you're receiving something you don't deserve. And that is offered in Christ. That's what salvation is, a gift of grace. You can't earn it, I can't earn it, we don't deserve it, and yet it's given. And so Paul, as he he ends chapter 5, that thing comes up again. And he says this as he ends chapter 5. The law came in so that transgression would increase. Now he doesn't mean God gave his law to make people sin. He says, God gave His law so we would see what sin is. So we would know just how far away from God we really are in the way we think, in the way we act. He says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I hope you let that truth sink in a little bit if you're a Christian here today. You have sins and no doubt they are great. 
We, we sin daily. We, we fall short of God's plan daily. Grace abounded far more than all our sins. Sometimes we sing the song, Our sins they are many, His mercy is more. God's mercy is more than our sins. So grace abounds. And in verse 21 he says, So sin reigned in death. Sin ruled over us. Even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace reigns in our lives. And so the question then comes up, if grace is so great, can we just keep sinning? If we have grace, it's bigger than our sins. It's that much bigger. Just just live how you want. Jesus has got it. The cross has covered it. Do what you want to do in life. (coughs) If you're a Christian, I hope you already hear that and think, that's not what it's supposed to be. But people have always struggled with grace. Even in Paul's day, they struggle with how you understand grace. So Paul starts off chapter 6. This is the question of the chapter. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? (laughs) Just just who cares about sin in your life because Christ has covered it? He's going to come back to it in verse 15. What then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Does it even matter? Does it even matter how you live anymore? Is that what the gospel is? And again, if you're a Christian, I hope you're already hearing that and saying, that's, that's not the gospel. It's not what it should be. And Paul's going to answer that just as strongly as hopefully you're thinking it. No, no, you don't keep sinning. But he's going to explain why. So let's look at the answer. What is the answer of Romans 6? He goes about it in a unique way, I think. Um, we would say no, and that's what Paul's going to say. If you have it open in front of you, he's going to say, may it never be, is how the New American Standard is going to translate it. But what Paul's, he's going he's to explain why, and he's going to say, remember your baptism. Now, that's interesting. Let's, let's stop and think about it. Do you, do you remember your baptism, if you were baptized here today? Do you remember, remember what led to it? Do you remember the conviction that you were a sinner before God? and that you needed the salvation in Jesus Christ. And do you remember that, that feeling where you, where you said, I need to have my sins washed away in Jesus? And do you remember where you were? And do you remember, you remember who, who helped baptize you? Do you remember who helped teach you? you remember who helped be there for the occasion? I hope it's a memory that you hold on to. Because Paul, Paul says here, remember your baptism. Because in that baptism, Paul says, you were united with Jesus Christ. We're going to think about how that answers this question. He says, and again, the question is, do we just keep sinning? You think about your baptism, he says. You joined with Christ there. Let's read the first few verses. Again, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 3, or do you not know? that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death. Now in our discussions with our religious friends and neighbors, sometimes people see that verse and they're a little shocked by the language. They say, that says baptized into Jesus. Baptized into His death. Are you you saying, or is the Bible saying that, that baptism is what puts you into Jesus. And, and yes, I, I understand that to be what that's saying. See, if I understand it right, there's, there's two extremes you can take on baptism. Neither one are biblical, if I understand them right. There, there's one extreme that says, baptism without faith is fine. 
Just be baptized. Some people call this the sacramental view of baptism, where you, you can baptize someone whether they have faith or not. And so you can baptize a baby, for example. They don't have their own faith, but, but baptism just does its job um, because it's, it doesn't matter about your faith. So some people call that the sacramental view. In the 1500s, the Reformation, I think people swung the pendulum and overreacted a little bit against the sacramental view and came to teach what some people call the symbol view of baptism. And what the symbol view says is faith without baptism is all you need. So this one said baptism without faith. This one said faith without baptism. And so later when you're baptized, you're saved when you just have a thought of faith. And later when you're baptized, it's just a symbol. There's not really any meaning along with it. You're not really put into Jesus at baptism. You're just, you're just sort of doing something that the Bible talks about. If I understand the Bible right, it's not baptism without faith. And it's not faith without baptism. It's what I, I read one guy described it years ago as conversion baptism. And maybe that's a good way to say it. It is the moment at which we are converted from out of Christ to into Christ. It is the moment at which our faith comes alive in a, into a saving faith. It's the moment we go from unforgiven to forgiven, from covered with sins that separate us from God to sins washed away. Can I put some of those verses up there before you for just a minute to make that clear? Because that's going to come up in conversations for the rest of your life with the broad spectrum of what the Bible says about baptism. Not baptism without faith. It's not faith without baptism. It's both. And so Matthew 28, Jesus says, Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What are you saying, Jesus? You go from not being a disciple to being a disciple in the waters of baptism. John 3, verse 5, he says you are born of water and the Spirit. You go from being dead to being born in the waters of baptism. You go from not having the Spirit of God to having the Spirit of God in the waters of baptism. You go from not being in the kingdom of God to in the kingdom of God in the waters of baptism. Acts 2.38, be baptized. That's a command of God. Repent, each of you be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. You go from unforgiven to forgiven in the waters of baptism. And again, the Holy Spirit. You go from not having the Holy Spirit in your life to having the Holy Spirit in the waters of baptism. 1 Peter 3.21 says, baptism now saves you. You go from not being saved to being saved in the waters of baptism. Are you saying, wait, wait a sec, is that, is that the sacramental view, that just baptism without faith? Not at all. Keep reading. He says it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's also your own heart decision to follow Jesus. And where's the power at, at the end of that verse? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In baptism, there's all these changes it's not baptism without faith. It's not faith without baptism. As Colossians 2.12 says, we're buried with Him in baptism and raised up through faith. That's where this happens. And, and so we need, to, we need to know these verses to be able to explain them to people we care about and explain them as we have these conversations because we want to do this right. In fact, in the New Testament, baptism is important enough that when Paul meets some people in Acts chapter 19 that hadn't done it for this reason, they hadn't done it to be put into Jesus and have your sins washed away. Paul says you need to do that right. And they're baptized, maybe say baptized again, but they're baptized into Jesus for the first time. It's important in the Bible. And so Paul just assumes, back in Romans 6, he just assumes if you're a Christian, you've been baptized. I read another a scholar years ago, not part of Churches of Christ, but he said there's no such thing in the New Testament as an unbaptized Christian. And he's right about that. 
And so Paul just assumes they're baptized. So he says, okay, do we keep living in sin? No, remember, you were baptized. And when you were baptized, you were put into Jesus. And when you were baptized, you were put into his death. And so what happened there in baptism, there was a death and there was a resurrection. That's Paul's point. There was a death that happened when you were baptized and there was a resurrection. Verse 4 uh, is a great one to me. Um, sometimes as we're explaining how to obey the gospel to people, this is one of the verses we look at. Verse 4 says, We've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And what you see there is in baptism, we are reenacting what Jesus did. So it is a symbol, but it's not only a symbol. It's a symbol in which God does something, something real. It's the moment at which God gives those blessings. So just as Jesus dies on the cross, is buried, and raises again, he says in baptism, we are buried with him, and we are raised up to walk a new life. Again, it tells us what baptism is. It was a burial. He went all the way in the water. He came all the way back up. And so just as Jesus was buried, rose again, he said when you were baptized, you were buried with him, and you rose, don't miss the end of that verse, to walk in newness of life. Verse 5, if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Why is that? Verse 6, our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. When you and I were baptized, our old self, full of sin, full of selfishness, full of guilt, is washed away in those waters and you come up you're sure not perfect, and you never will be, and, you, and you've got a ways to go, but you rise to walk a new life. He says, you've been freed from that sin stuff, so you don't live that way anymore. And that's his point. Now, that wording can be a little strange to us also. He says, you're, you were slaves to sin. You've been freed from sin. What? You're saying I was a, I was a slave to sin before that happened? And that's the way the Bible describes it. Um, and we'll see it here in this chapter. Everybody serves something. We decide what we serve. God gave you that choice. He gave me that choice. But we're all serving something. Whether it's self, whether it's sin, whether it's power, whether it's money, whether it's, or whether it's God. You choose what you serve, but everybody serves something. He's going to say, if you have it open in front of you, down in verse 16, he's going to say, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience... You are slaves of the one who you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. In the book, The Reason for God, um, the author is defending, he's explaining the Christian faith and why it's reasonable to believe in God and why the other options don't make sense. And, and as he's talking about the gospel, he quotes a guy named David Foster Wallace, who's a novelist. And here's what David Foster Wallace said. He said, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. An outstanding reason for choosing God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. 
Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when the time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. You hear what he's saying? We all serve something, and if you choose the things of the world, they're going to eat you alive. That's why the gospel is the better way to serve Jesus Christ. So we all serve something. We were freed from all that. Sin always ends in pain. It always ends in a pig trough, as Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. If you live by sin, your relationships are going to be broken by dishonesty and unforgiveness and selfishness, and you leave a path of brokenness your whole life. Jesus is not that way. You serve God, you're chasing better things. You're chasing the goodness of God, a life of forgiveness, a life of goodness, a life of kindness. The type You look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, that's the life you want. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness. Goodness, gentleness, self-control. That, that's the life you want. You're going to serve something. Serve the one we were made to serve. The one that cares about us. The one that leads us down the better path. The one who wants us to be right with Him. Paul's going to say, and again, remember the whole question. Do we keep sinning? Paul says, no, you don't serve that stuff anymore. So consider yourselves, verse 11, to be dead to sin. You died to it in your baptism. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Someone from the outside may have that question. So you're still serving. Now you're just serving God. But serving God is better. As Jesus said it in Matthew 11, come to me and I will give you rest. There's rest in serving God. It's the better path. You'll find rest for your souls. It's still serving. You're still obeying the one who is worthy of being served and the one who's worthy of being obeyed, the one who wants you to go down the right path. God doesn't give you rules and laws just because he wants to see if we'll follow them. God is trying to help our life be the best life possible. And that's what it's like to serve Christ. Jesus is trying to tell us that. The whole chapter ends, verse 23. If you serve sin, the wages of sin is death. That's what it pays. It pays you death. But the free gift of God, you're serving God, but He gives you a free gift, and that gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How should that affect our heart? Again, the question was, do we just keep sinning? We have grace. The answer is no, you were... You were baptized. And when you were baptized, you died to sin. And you rose to serve Jesus Christ. And that's who you need to be serving. How should that affect our heart? Well, the Christian heart has always struggled with grace. There's part of us that wants to somehow show that we deserve it. People like the Pharisees have tried to just point out everybody else's faults and try to say how they're better than everyone else in some weird heart version of making yourself worthy of grace. That's not the way to handle it. Some people struggle with just accepting that they have grace and they beat themselves up their whole life and they can only see sin on themselves. How does God want us to view sin and grace? We strive not to sin. 
I think this is the best way I can say it for myself. We strive not to sin. Genuinely in our hearts, we say between us and God, God, I don't want to sin against you. I know I will because I'm going to fall short like I always have and and I'm going to mess up and make the wrong choices. But God, I genuinely don't want to sin. And God sees your heart. God knows if that's where your heart is at. Also, at the same time as I'm genuinely trying not to sin, I want to trust God's grace. I don't want to walk around scared all the time. I want to walk around feeling like I've got to be perfect if I'm getting into heaven. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is not hopping a fence back and forth. I'm, I'm saved, and if I mess up, I'm lost. And if I, if I'm, then I'm back, and then I mess up, I'm lost again. You're not hopping a fence back and forth to salvation. You have grace. That's what it's all about. The, the blood of Christ covers you as you walk in the light. If I had to guess, every time we come together on a Sunday morning, there's people among us, maybe all of us, in one camp or the other, struggling with one of those two perspectives. We probably have people in this room who you've let sin become more a part of your life than it should be. Please don't stay there. Please don't act like it's not a big deal. Please don't act like it doesn't matter. Sin is something you were supposed to die to when you were baptized into Jesus Christ. Don't serve it. And that path back to serving it is always possible. Satan hopes you'll take it. He hopes you'll keep taking one step closer. So every time we come together, there's some of us that need to hear, don't go back to sin and don't let it stay in your life. There's probably some of us that also need to hear again this morning, don't forget how great grace is. God knows if you're trying to live for Him. Yes, He sees your sin. He knew all of them before Jesus came. His grace is greater than that sin. He knows you're trying to live for Him. He knows it's a process. He knows there's ups and downs, some days better than others. And and you need to not beat yourself up so much, but to be able to rest in the fact that Jesus has got it as you try to live for Him. Hard to balance that. Our heart struggles to balance that sometimes, but that's the perspective we want to hold. One thing I love about Romans, I wanted to end with this this morning. There are some hard things in Romans. Uh, some of the words we looked at last week in chapter 3 are some hard words there. We'll see some hard concepts before we're all done. But one thing I love about it is it takes us back to some basics. It takes us back to some basics about, about our souls. That's what it's all about. It reminds us of salvation, how important that is, that our soul being right with God is really the most important thing. That sin is our problem, that Christ is our answer, that we don't want to live for sin, that we want to live for Jesus. A passage from Jesus where he tries to remind us of this. Matthew 16, 26, it challenges me every single time. He says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Don't forget that your soul is the most important thing. Don't forget as you interact with people, whether they're mean, whether they're Christians or not, don't forget their souls in need of salvation. As you make decisions in life, don't forget to put your soul first on those decisions. The souls of those around you first on those decisions. As we as a church make decisions, as our elders help lead us in making decisions, they try hard to make sure souls are what makes makes the, the final decision. What's the best for souls to come to Jesus Christ, both here and outside our church family right now? Don't forget the importance of souls. So it's always worth asking as we close this morning. How's my soul? If you've let sin become a bigger part of your life, we pray you'll stop that and come back to Jesus Christ. He wants you back. We pray you won't let it keep growing. If you're not a Christian here this morning, we'd love to see you take the steps the Bible describes to to have your sins washed away. 
there's a learning process. You hear about Jesus. You come to faith in Him. You commit. The Bible calls it repentance. You commit to live for Him. And then you confess your faith and have your sins washed away in baptism. If we can pray for you, we want to pray for you. If your soul's not right with God, that's what we're here for. We're here to help each other try to be right with God. If you'd like to talk privately about baptism, about the Christian commitment, about your faith, if you'd like prayers privately, let us know. But as we sing this next song, it's an opportunity. An opportunity for anybody to come before the church family to ask for prayers, to take the step of becoming a Christian, to let us know in whatever ways we can help you. We'd love to do that. Being to respond publicly this morning, everybody to come to the front now while we stand and while we sing. Down from high above, and the